Wasn't that awesome? I like so grateful. It's been pretty amazing, um, you know, like with, you know, Kellen leaving a couple, like a year ago, over a year ago, and then Gabby and Jed and Gabby leaving this last. And it's been really cool. The last four weeks, I haven't had to do, had to lead worship. It's just kind of worked out. And like I said, we were hanging out with Frankie and Danielle and, and it's, it's like, oh, it's your week off. Wait, what are you doing Sunday? Wait, <laughs> hey, you want to come to Carlsbad? And he's like, Danielle, she's like, yep. All right, cool. Sweet. So it worked out. And I, I just love that. I love um, just, it's fun having the different people come in and, and lead. And it's been a great time. So thank you guys for coming uh, down south. Twist your arm, right? Uh, well, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're only going to be going through five verses today. So we're going to be verses 1 through 5. So recap, this letter is uh, written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who's like his son in the faith. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus, uh, and um, this church, again, it blew up. It was awesome. It, it, it grew super fast. There was amazing power going on, like God was using, doing supernatural stuff, um, the, the, uh, the demonic and, and idol worship was declining rapidly. Uh, God was doing something really, really cool in Ephesus. But these false teachers that came in, and they started teaching different stuff. And they were twisting it up. And so Paul gives us uh, Timothy, gives Timothy and, you know, also us, because we get to see it, pastoral advice. Uh, this is how you, you want to run a church. And so we've been looking at all kinds of different things, like uh, different important parts about being in leadership. And we looked at, most recently, the qualifications of elders and the qualifications of deacons um, and, and how th there's supposed to be order in the church and God works in order and he works in, in people just... He, everyone's most blessed when they're in the right place doing the right things, right? We know this. And so uh, we continue on with that into chapter 4. And um, yeah, if you guys want to stand, we'll read uh, the first five verses. We'll pray and then we'll get started. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to, uh, to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Well, let's pray. Lord, uh, as we are just holding up your, your word here, the scriptures, we pray that you'd uh, give us insights to understand it. Lord, that you'd um, pour out your spirit on us and, and open our eyes to see, to understand. Lord, open up our ears to hear. Lord, open up our hearts. Soften our hearts where we have any callous or, or searing that's happened. Lord, we pray that you would um, break through the scar tissue and, and, and that we would be able to hear and feel and, and, and uh, be changed by what you want us to hear and feel and be changed by. So uh, we just pray all these things, Lord, and we lift it all up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. I saw a quote a while back, and, um, and it was talking about, uh, you know, as a kid, I think I overestimated how, 
how often I would be experiencing quitsand in my life, you know? Maybe you guys grew up, especially I think in the 80s, 90s, you know? Uh, it seemed like quicksand was inevitable. Like somehow you're gonna fall, find quicksand and you're gonna step in it and you're gonna go down, right? I mean, think it was like in all these cartoons and, and movies and, and, you know, whatever. So you get the idea, it's like quicksand is like a terrifying thing, right? You step into it and you think you're good and then all of a sudden you start getting, you know, sinking further and further down into it. Before you know it, you can't get out, and it slowly swallows you alive. You know, it's a terrifying thought. Never have run into it, thankfully. Um, we don't have them here at our beaches. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a terrifying thought. Uh, likewise, you've heard the saying before, you know, or, or the, the, you know, seen the picture or heard of the illusion of the, the frog that's in the pot that's slowly boiling, right? You get in and everything's nice and all of a sudden the water starts warming up and you're like, this is nice. And it gets warmer and warmer and warmer and before you know it, you're boiled. We have that. Same thing, even we can think about the sun setting. It's so, in a sense, so you know, slow that you kind of miss the fact that all of a sudden it's just dark. You know what helps you find that out? When you're playing a sport, especially with a hard ball. That's when you find out that it's dark. You're like... I just took one off the eye, and now I know it is dark. Um, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I was, I, I, yeah. Anyway, so there you go. So that, there, there's, we have these kind of pictures of things slowly getting worse around us or, or progressing around us without us really noticing it's happening. That is what Paul is talking about when he's addressing the church of Ephesus to Timothy, like how to minister to them. So he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, these are people, to be, just to be really clear right from the start, this is people in the church. Okay? So you can look at the world around you and you go, what a mess. Look at all the chaos out there. Yes, we know. That's obvious. But this is the people in the church. So look around and figure out, are you in the church? Yes, you're in the church, okay? So this is like something that we need to like think about. This is something that we need to like constantly be looking at our own lives because this is an actual threat to us, okay? The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, latter times, so that'd be like kind of later times uh, coming near the end. We don't know where we're at on the timeline. Sure seems closer to the end than the beginning, doesn't it? Uh, but in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, it says the Spirit expressly says. What is the Spirit? When did the Spirit say this? Um, I think it, it, it is, it's Jesus said this, right? Um, Jesus said this. That's like a word of revelation, right? The Spirit, the prophetic word from the past. That's what the Spirit says, right? And so the Spirit says, like in Jesus, in Revelation talks about uh, the Spirit expressly says. That would be him speaking, right? Um, Romans 8, 9 also tells us, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of Christ. So the spirit says this. So this is words from Jesus found in Matthew 24 and Matthew 13, where he's dealing with end time stuff. He's dealing with Stuff that's going to go down as the world seemingly gets worse and worse around us and we see things happening um, right in front of us. This is the word for the church. 
It expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed or listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Pay attention. That's the idea. Take heed. That's, the, that's what they're doing. They're paying attention to the lying spirits and doctrines of demons. They're listening to their teaching. So understand this. Like God designed us for a good purpose to be used by him for his glory. Like we see that right at the beginning, right? Right at the very beginning of the Bible. We see that. Like Genesis. Like God created us to work with him for his glory, for his good. It's beautiful, right? Satan also is looking to partner with us, right? So there's a partnership aspect on both sides where, where God is like saying, come with me and be part of what I'm doing. And Satan is like, come with me and be a part of what I'm doing, right? And we know Satan is looking like, he's not, it's not like passively looking. He is actively looking to grab hold of us. Right? There's deceiving spirits. That's what we, all we need to know. It's, there's deceiving. It, if it's deceiving, it means you can be tricked by it. You know, it's not just like spirits who, you know, are very forthcoming. They tell you exactly why they're here. No, they're deceiving. They suck you in. You know, it's the idea of a mouse trap. You put some cheese on there. That cheese ain't free, man. You know, you want to try and think, grab, grab a hold of that cheese. It is not free. You will find out. You know, that was one of my jobs early on in, in ministry was rat catcher. You know, Lord, I feel called to the ministry. You're going to catch rats in an old orange packing house. It's like 100 years old. There were many. We caught many. We would name them and stuff, the traps. I got really good at it. Um, but the, they, they, you got to put good bait on that thing. Otherwise, they, they're not going to like go and be like, oh, a piece of metal. I should touch that. You got to put good bait on it. You know, we would put cheese on it. Sometimes it was like the welfare cheese. It, did, it didn't really melt very good. You know, it was kind of wild, you know. We, some, I don't know where we got that from. But we also would put peanut butter or something like that. And they would grab onto it and just ah, jump onto it and snap, done, toast. So we have this deceiving spirits. We know, uh, we know from 1 Peter 5, 8, uh, we're warned to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lions are equipped with amazing abilities. Cats in general. Like, we get this little tiny cat. She's not big. She's like, she's full grown, but she's not big. But she can inflict damage, man. Cats are just crazy. And, and she could be one side of the house to the other in like a, a flash. And, I, you know, at uh, probably three months old, she fell off the top of our uh, railing all the way downstairs. It was like over 10 feet, just dropped, like slipped off the top, thought she could do something she couldn't, fell. And we were like, is she okay? And she's, Tori said she sat there for a second. She went in the other room, went to sleep, and then popped up and was ready to go again. You're like, okay, cats are insane. That's the nine lives thing, right? So they, they've been gifted with, I'm, I'm just, every time I look at my cat, I'm so thankful that she is as small as she is, or else it would be her house. And she could take over, right? And lions are like that. But lions still, they use stealth. They're still sneaking around. Even with all their, their weapons that are at their disposal, they use stealth, right? And so we know that the enemy, Satan, is, is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour, looking to entrap us. 
Of course, we saw him do it to Eve right at the very beginning. And we see him do it over and over again, trying to deceive us, to give heed or to listen to the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Uh, it's important to understand that Satan's best work is twisting truth. You know, a straight up lie is not nearly as effective as just a little off the truth. So there's nothing original. He doesn't have anything original. He just twists the original for his uh, own good in a sense, right? It's all, it's all like a, uh, just like a false view of the real thing. And it, and it, and it's, but it's enticing, especially to our flesh. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So the fruit, the result of heeding the teaching of the devil is lies in hypocrisy, right? Uh, again, nothing original. Satan can't really come up with anything. It's a cheap counterfeit. When I was a kid, um, the brands that were like everybody wanted was like um, Stussy. Do you guys remember Stussy? Okay, yeah, Stussy, right? And Mossimo. And then there was like a little bit of a, like a different sect, like the No Fear Gear crew, right? And the Bad Boy Club. Let's watch out for the Bad Boy Club, you know? Um, but those shirts were really expensive. And we lived by the Colton Auction, you know, out in the Inland Empire. And you could get three shirts for $10 that looked legit until you washed them twice, you know? <laughs> At first you put them on and it's like a little crooked, it looks like the same thing, it's, but it's a little crooked, and people would probably be able to know, but you wash it a couple times, and that thing starts coming off, you know? It's like, like a temporary tattoo, you know? Like, oof, you know? But you could get three for $10, and um, it's medium-ish size, you know, that sort of a thing. But it's, it's, it's a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. Um, and it's important to understand, following Satan will always lead to lying, it, it, it leads to taking us in and we get brought into his world and it leads to lying. We see this right from Genesis. There's deception, lies, right? You get sucked in. Now you're living in an alternate universe and you've got to lie. That's just not where we want to be. And we hate lying, really. When We might say we, you know, kind of got made peace with it or whatever, but not really. You know, we want to uh, make sure that we're not like those having their conscience seared with a hot iron. We want to feel when we're off. Like we got to be able to hear that voice and to recognize when God is like pressing on us, like turn, turn now before everything gets seared and, uh, and uh, cauterized. That's the idea. Cauterizing a wound, you know, but then you have scar tissue. And you know, if any of you guys have scar tissue, especially if you were like skating when you were a kid and stuff, your knees probably can't feel anything. You know, if you touch them, there's nothing there. You know, it's like that is nothing but scar tissue all the way along on, on the top of that, you know, on my kneecap, you know. But it, it's, it's damage has been done. It's no longer the way that it was. And so we run a risk of being deceived so much and buying in so much that our conscience literally gets seared and scarred and burned. And we, we can't hear the voice of the Lord anymore. We don't hear when we're off. We don't, there's no, it doesn't bother us to sin, right? If, if it bothers you when you sin, thank God it's not too late. If it bothers you that, you're, that, you're, that you lie, thank God it's not too late. Because there's people who lied so much they literally don't know the truth. And they can't tell the truth. They don't even know that they're lying. It's become habitual. 
And, and if, if God has pricked your heart and to understand, hey, this, this is a beautiful thing. This means that God is still speaking to you. It means that the Holy Spirit is still working on your behalf. But we need to deal quickly because we're in a life of deception. And we're deceiving ourselves and we're deceiving those around us. And uh, we're, we're just off. And we're not, you know, we're not deceiving is God. He knows exactly what's going on. But he's warning us as we listen to, as we buy into these false narratives the world is selling us, that, that there is a real life cost to this. It will change you. It will change the way you relate to people around you. It will, re- it will definitely change, your, obviously, your relationship with him. And you will, it will only get worse. You know, you, if you look at uh, the things that happen like on the news, like how could that possibly happen? If you've ever had a chance to talk to someone who's gone really, really far down the road and done something like kind of horrific, you know, if you've been able to talk to them, you just say, how did this happen? And, and if they're, they're honest and they're clear-headed, they go, it was like one step at a time. It was just this and it was that and it was this, it was that. And that stopped bothering me, then that stopped bothering me, then that stopped bothering me. Conscience seared with a hot iron. Stop the bleeding by cauterizing the wound. We don't want that. We want to bleed. We want to feel when there's pain. So God, if God is, is, is still addressing something, make sure you don't let it become seared, like conscience seared. Let that work in your life to go, God, forgive me. Um, here, let me lay it all out. Let me confess my sins before you. Uh, let me confess where I've bought into the way of the world, you know, whatever. So now we're going to see kind of what, they're, what they were talking about. Here, here's their, uh, the version of these doctrines of demons, the, the, uh, you know, where they're getting these believers thrown off. Verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So uh, this is regarding the influence of the Gnostics. Um, and the Gnostics' main thing was... Uh, that the body is evil, all matter material is evil, and uh, the spirit is good, right? So your spiritual side is all good, and everything that has to do with the body is evil, right? So that had taken its, its form, and uh, these people say forbidding to marry, right? And you could even use the example of Paul saying, like, hey, look, I, I, I'm not, mar- not going to be married because I'm going to use, you know, all my resources, Paul was probably married before, especially because, uh, you know, of his position. Um, but he's going to, he's like, I'm going to use my position for the Lord. I'm going to go all hardcore. You know, if you're married, you're going to have other things you're going to have to think about and worry about and all this and that. So you can make an argument on that side. You can make the argument that in the new heaven, new earth, uh, we won't be married in the same sense that we are now. But they're making it something that it's not, right? And so they're, they're saying, being married and all the things that go with being married is evil, so it must be taken away, be done away with, right? And then they're commanding them to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, the, this is like a form of asceticism. That's, that's basically what it is. It's like, um, you know, it's a lifestyle of staying, abstaining from like any sort of pleasures, um, for spiritual reasons, but it is not biblical, especially uh, in this form, right? And we know there's, there's, there's two different sides of things, right? God does ask us at times 
to, to step aside from certain things so that we can focus on him and, and bring our, our self-control in, you know. But it's not, like, forever, right? Fasting, that's part of it, right? Fasting is a powerful tool that God uses in, in the lives of believers. If you take a time of prayer and fasting, the idea is um, that you get rid of usually food, right? You set food aside and you fast either a meal or a day or a couple days, whatever. And every time you would normally go and eat, you take that and you bring it before the Lord. And so the hunger that's stirring up inside of you, it's, it's, you use that as a time for hungering for the Lord. You're telling your body no and you're building up your spirit. This is between you and God. But if you're to fast in diff, like forever, you know, you're going to die. <laughs> right? And, and the idea is, that's really important we've got to understand is that it, fasting is always tied in with also feasting. Amen. You gotta love a feast, right? And feasting was God's idea, right? And we're, we're gonna see even in heaven, there's like feasting going on. And you look at back, even like how he would celebrate things from the Old Testament, it was, there was food involved. Thank you, Lord. Love that. But it, there's the two sides. It's, so it's not just one or the other. So it's not like just go off and do whatever you want forever. We know that causes major problems. License to, oh, I got grace. I could do whatever I want. We don't want that. We want to be disciplined. So fasting's a big deal. And then also feasting. They go together. Being alone with God, that's great. Like going and getting away and, you know, getting in a cave or whatever, a mountaintop, that's great. If you do that for the rest of your life, you will become very weird. Very weird. And you will have all kinds of ideas that are not right, right? But if you, so being alone with God, getting away, and then what's the other side of that? Fellowship, being with others, you know, like that, we need to do that. You will also lack any sort of depth if you never get alone with God and all you are is around others. Because people can't give you what God can give you. You can't, you can't get around people, even I mean, the, the church setting, I think is so vital and so important. I really do. It's, it's become marginalized over time. And I, but I believe like God has used the church, flaws and all, in such dramatic ways in my own personal life. And I think showing up and being ready to hear from God, he does a lot there. But if you, this doesn't translate, and hopefully we're, like, you know, you're being encouraged to do so, to having time spent alone with God, then you're missing out on like the, the, the real day-to-day -day walk. That's not enough. So alone with God, fellowship with one another, right? Seasons of joy, seasons of sorrow, right? And recognizing both. You can't act like everything's good when it's not. That's okay. There's like, oh, there's, you know, there's, there's different seasons in life, but there's this both sides to this stuff. So feasting, fasting, you know, uh, alone with God, fellowship with others, joy, sorrows. There's lots more to this, but God uses both, okay? So the idea of completely abstaining, and, and what's interesting is sometimes, a lot, I think a lot of times, this will be a, an issue of conscience for someone. I need to stay away from this thing, and then they make it into a legalistic trip, and you know it when you hear it, because you go, that is not in the Bible, but you've made this like doctrine and truth, and it comes up more often than anything else. We want to live gospel-centered lives, full of grace, full of dedication. 
right? You, know, you can't do it on your own. You've been full, you know, fully redeemed and restored by Jesus, you know, what, what he did on the cross. Um, but also, take up your cross and follow me. You know, you used to be fishers. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, foxes have whole uh, dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why don't you come follow me? You know, so it's going to be dedication. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be like a real, um, you know, gnarly aspect to it. It's, there's work, but it's God-ordained, God-empowered work. But we also enjoy the grace of God that goes, I blew it, and there is no pen penitence I can do. There's nothing I can do to make this right except for just falling back into my gracious, loving, you know, God's arms. Say, God, I blew it. I need you again. So the idea of the body being bad and so marriage being bad, food, eating, you know, certain types of food being bad, um, that is, there's nothing new. This has continued on for a long, long period, right? And so the Gnostic and the Gnostics' um, approach toward the body um, and spirit, obviously, we got to really look at the life of Jesus, right? When Jesus came back from the dead, which we just celebrated, you know, last week, in Luke 24, it says, in verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see, I have. So Jesus came back, resurrected. So this is no longer tarnished at all by sin as a man. Touch me. And then he takes it one step further. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. So the idea of not being able to eat is, is, or certain, you know, it's like, come on, right? Jesus himself said, here, give me food. You want to see that I'm real? Give me food, you know, and watch it not just go right through me. You know, it's like, I, I'm eating and I'm also hungry. I, I like, again, I like that. I think that's cool. Especially because if you understand like the kingdom as, uh, you know, like, like, you know, the new heaven, new earth as like a restored perfect, you know, represent, like, image of what we got now, but, like, perfect. Like, like just, it, it just mind-bogglingly beautiful. And, and the food, could you imagine the food tastes like? You know, can you imagine? And so we're going to be living in that kind of a world where we're just, it's so cool, right? So the idea of there not being a body, like, we know we're going to have a body right? We're going to have a body again. So um, the, le- the legalistic depriving of self has actually done damage just as the like license to sin or cheap grace. Who knows which one's done more? I think legalism um, does, does a lot of damage to the outside world, especially. It does damage in the church and to the outside world. It's like where you, the, the church gets a lot of its bad rap, you know? It's not who we are, you know? We're supposed to look like Jesus, not like these weird, uh, uptight about every little thing. Man, no, enjoy. Think about Jesus laughing, enjoying life. The the body was created for God to be enjoyed, right? We're supposed to be enjoyed by us, right? And so Adam and Eve were given food to eat and each other to marry. 
This was before the fall. So there you go. Um, and yeah, and, and when we pray for our food, it's, it's in thanks. I think that also is important because he says those things that you give thanks for. Um, a lot of times we say, like, Lord, can you bless this chili cheese fries? He's like, I'm not sure. But if you give, you could just ask, you could give thanks for it. Okay, thanks for the chili cheese fries. Thanks for these eight sugar cookies that I will eat that my daughter made. Thank you, Violet. So giving thanks. Verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, um, right, Peter has this dream, and it's just like, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And, and it's just like a total uh, you know, change to what, everything they've known. Like this, these animals that they would never have eaten. He says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Now, we know that the animals were actually involved, so we can eat these things that we couldn't before, which is why uh, it wasn't a really bad thing that we had you know, pastor tacos out here a couple weeks ago, right? Thank God, because those are so good. Um, so we're allowed to eat that. Of course, it also has to do with bringing in the Gentiles, that they're now not on the outskirts that they've been brought in through the new covenant. So um, that, that's, that's the idea. So don't call unclean whatever we're called clean. We don't know more than God, you know, and our staunch, you know, attitudes. And, and there's been certain things in my life where I wish the Bible was harder on than I am. That's a dangerous thing. Be careful, right? I wish the Bible was a lot more gnarly on this one. You're like, bro, careful. Do you know what you're talking about right now? This is a, that is a glaring sign of legalism in your life that is trying to peek its head out because it, you want to make it more intense than the Bible makes it. Don't do that, right? And we all have our things because we all see, and it's always, it's funny, right? Your thing, when you say it to someone and they're like, oh, wow, I never even thought about that. You're like, how did you not think about that? That's like, that's like the thing I see most. And then they bring something up to you and you're like, I would have never thought about that. And certain things, it's like, that's God, maybe God gave you that uh, you know, conviction for good, for you, for the position you're in. That's okay. Be, be sensitive to that. That's the idea of being sensitive to your conscience so it's not seared with a hot iron. When God speaks to you, sometimes he'll tell you, hey, let, leave that thing alone. You know, we can come back to it later, but leave it alone. I don't know, have you, any of you guys ever had something where God, it was a good thing. It was a good thing, but God told you to put it away for a season. Is there anybody here? No, me, yes, I have, you know, where it's like, this is a good thing normally, but it's, it's, it's kind of getting close to not being a good thing anymore, or maybe it's not a good thing anymore. Put it, take it aside. Leave it. Don't, don't like, you know, it's not worth it. I've used the example before of a good friend of mine, my old, uh, from the packing house. He was one of the best drummers I've ever heard. And God told him to stop playing drums for a season. And, and everyone was so up in arms, they could not believe why someone would ask him not to play drums. He was using it to play in the worship team. He was using, I mean, he was using it for God's glory, but he knew it had become an idol in his own life. And he knew that it, it was taking up more of him than he wanted it to. And so he set it aside. And I mean, I remember just thinking, what an example that was. He set it aside, stopped doing that. In the meantime, he actually ended up picking up guitar, became a worship leader, a very good worship leader. And then God released him to play drums again, and now he does, and he's awesome. 
So there's an idea. Conscience, it's, it's a thing. But don't put, so how crazy would it be, though, if he were to say, God said, don't play drums for a season. So you walk in the room and you see these drums and you overturn them like they're the tables. We can't have this. They start burning them. And you're like, no, he didn't tell me that. And I'm, I, I'm not good enough to be obsessed, Frank. So that's his name. I love that guy. He's a pastor. Now from, you know who, yeah, okay. <laughs> but that, that, it's like, no, that's, that was between him and God, and he didn't try to put it on anybody else. That's the way it is for us, right? So we want to be careful about that. Don't call unclean what I've called clean, right? Every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it was received with thanksgiving. You know, that's the idea that it's, everything is in its proper place. And I think thanksgiving is a really good sign of if something is in its proper place. If you're not thankful, then that's probably a point of idolatry. Because you either, you're either not thankful because you don't have enough. Like, I want more, I want more, I want more. Or you feel like entitled, not good. Neither one's good. This is one of the things that's the hardest thing to ingrain in your kids, but it is the, one of the most effective things. Thanks. Thanksgiving. Try to pray it every night. Thank you for all of this. Like, God, thank you for, and just try to go down the line every night. These are the things we're thankful for, for, for health. We're thankful for a place to sleep with a roof over our heads. We're thankful that there was enough food for us today. These things, right? And so nothing's to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. So that would be food. That would be all, all this stuff. When it's, when it's done well and in proper order, for it is sanctified by the word in prayer. God makes right uh, what's been distorted, right? Even, it's even interesting, uh, like in 1 Corinthians, when they're talking about food offered to idols, that is intense. Like, really, that's intense. Do you imagine? It's like, this food was, was offered to Satan. Would you like some tacos? Like, no, I, I can't say I do. <laughs> you know, like, I can't say that I really would want that. But Paul's like, if you don't know what is gone on with it, you know, because they would use the, you know, they'd do these sacrifices, whatever, and they'd get the meat. And he's like, if you don't really know where, it's like, it's just meat, you know. <laughs> like, what? Okay, that's weird. You know, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. The idea is like, you know what? Like, it, it's, it, it doesn't have those powers. I mean, if you hear that and you know exactly what it is, yeah, you probably want to stay away from it, you know. But don't call and clean what I've called clean. God has a way of making right what has been distorted by, by making things more clear. And we must be on guard. We have to be on guard for how easily we can be deceived and drift from God. Like we've got to have our eyes wide open. And, and I feel like what's even more helpful is to think about yourself already compromised in something. Like where am I drifting? There's a, there's a good chance that there's something that is, is trying to pull at me, and it, may, it, might, it might not have full pull, but there's something that's, that's weaseled its way. So it's taking a good look at your own life. That's David. Search me and know me, Lord. Show me what's not what it's, where it's supposed to be. So it's easy for us to be deceived and to drift from God. Also, Thanksgiving keeps our eyes on God. Every, uh, you know, and, and so... Everything is put in order when we keep thanks. You know, we keep thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's like we, we keep our eyes on everything, like, and we remember where it came from. We don't give root or place 
to the devil. But these dangers are real. And again, this is happening in the church. This is happening to believers that have been swayed away. And imagine these were the believers that saw crazy, radical, miraculous stuff go down. They saw God do amazing things. Um, but like, it, it's, it's a real danger. C.S. Lewis actually warned about the dangers of su a subtle drift of our faith uh, in mere Christianity. I'll read a little excerpt here for you. Now, faith, in the sense in which I am using the word, is the art of holding on to the things your reason has once accepted. In spite of your changing moods, for moods will change whatever view your reason takes. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. The first step is to recognize the fact that your, that your moods change. The next is to make sure that if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall deliberately... Uh, uh, shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. So the idea is that you, you, if you believe this, you are spending time dwelling in the word of God every day. You're spending time being discipled by the truth because the lies are surrounding us constantly, right? Especially if you watch the news or you have social media or you go outside, Okay, basically everywhere, right? So part of the Christian life is affirming the things, no matter what your mood. This is really good advice. I don't feel like it. Who cares? Do it. I don't feel like putting my armor on. Who cares? Do it. You know? I, it's like, I don't feel like snapping my helmet before I ride my mountain bike. You know what? Just do it. <laughs> you know, because you're going to try and go down this little rock face and you're going to end up so bombed really soon if you, you know, anyway. So uh, you, you put yourself these doctrines of what we really believe before our face every day. Hold it before our mind sometime every day. That is why daily prayers and readings and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. So if you think default is growing towards Christ, dead wrong. Watching, following Jesus is like driving, driving a car with no brakes that's stick shift. You know, you're either moving forward or you're, you know, you're moving backwards or you're burning out your clutch and then you're going to go backwards, you know, or you stall out and you're going to do nothing, you know. So that's the idea. So it must be, uh, it must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if, if, if you examined 100 people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? It's so easy to drift, right? It's so easy to drift. You know, I didn't grow up surfing like many of you, but I have learned about strong currents, uh, <laughs> where you go out and you paddle out and you're like, okay, cool, there's my family. And all of a sudden you're like, where's my family? And they're like, over there and you're down here. And you're like, I think I'm in Oceanside and started in Carlsbad. This is gonna take a while. And so, uh, but it, it's amazing how fast you can drift without even noticing it's happening, right? It, it is amazing how fast that can happen. And so we have to keep our eyes opened uh, to, to what's going on around us and not just be defensive. I think that's a lot of times where we can mess up, 
where we go, well, we got to be defensive. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Yes, absolutely. But the best way to do that is by doing the offensive thing, which is staying in the word, allowing God to speak to you, picking up good podcasts where you can hear like good biblical teaching or, or people talking about, you know, uh, you know, good, solid apologetics, like understanding the, this, the way, you know, whatever, something that feeds your soul, the books you read, invest in your inner personal walk with Jesus or else you can expect to drift. And then one of the things that happens when you drift is that you drift away from people. As you drift away from people, you start to lose landmarks altogether. And, and they're not there to help you to see that you've drifted. And you, you can't see that. You don't know anything. You're missing out on everything. So it's easy. It's so easy to drift and to find yourself so far off of where you started. It all comes back to affirming what we believe. Moods or not, spend time with Jesus. What, what is it? Prayers, right? Spend time praying to God in thanks Laying out your petitions, let your petitions be made known. Interceding for others, active prayer life, you know, multiple times a day for short periods. This really works really well, you know. And anytime you're thinking, man, I don't pray enough, just do it right then. That's a cool thing. You don't have to do anything crazy. You just got to just go, all right, what's but this bothering me? Ah, pray. Pray now, right? Time spent listening to the word or, or in the word. Read your Bible. Again, you don't have to read the Bible in 90 days. That's very hard to do. But chew on a section of scripture every day. Meditate on it. That means chew it up oh, again and again and again. You know, read it. Think about it. Let, how's that? And, and pray to God, how does, this, how does this work in my life? Like, it's amazing. When you read, it will get used almost every day. I, I, I'm serious. Like, whatever you read, it doesn't even matter. It's like, God seems to have some sort of application ready for you. So you go, how many days do I miss the application? Because I didn't read like I should have, right? Spending time doing that. And then in fellowship with one another. That's here. You're here. Well done, you know? Even the week after Easter, that's actually a more challenging one because, you know, it's, you know, we don't have donuts, but no, it's, it, it's, it's a, that's, that's what we do. And then we ask God to continually search our hearts and say, where am I drifting? Where am I off? And, and then allowing him to, to, when he speaks, we don't deaden out our conscience and sear it and scar it. We go, all right, I hear you. I, I, like, I repent. I change. I turn. I don't want to live a life of lies. I don't want to live a life of, of being fake. I don't want to live a life of where people look at me and I hate the fact that they're not looking at the real me. That I'm, I'm constantly putting on a mask for everyone around me. I'm insincere. God's like, hey, bring all of that junk over here and then I will make you sincere. And people will like you more when they get the real you anyways. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of like, that's... It's all right there, right? It's a warning for Ephesus. It's a warning for Carlsbad, especially the world we're living in. Again, we're being discipled constantly. We must, by, by the world, which is under satanic rule. It's under demonic-like ideas. It's so obvious it's under demonic ideas. I mean, some of the stuff you're like, no way. That is Moloch. 
He's done this before. We know what this is. So we have to look at it and not just go, look at all these problems. We've got to be like, how is this affecting me? And how do I stop this right now? And I come back to the Lord and say, God, help me to, to make a difference here. And to not to see it for myself and to see it for those around us. To invest in what's around us. To bring forth light in the midst of darkness. Uh, that's our call. And he's called us to be part of that. But we've got to be aware. Man, there is a spiritual battle going on. If you don't know it, probably losing. Right? So, Lord, we just come before you right now, and we, 